Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Today I'm joined by a guest, and we're going to talk about a game that's turning kind of... It's turning five this year. It's like, if this game was a person, it could go to kindergarten later this year. That's my intro. Yeah, that's that, that's that's the intro, all right. Um, I so we're going to talk about Undertale, and I'm going to make everyone really angry. Well, you're going to make like fifty percent of people angry, and the other fifty percent are going to be like, "Thank you! Oh my gosh!" Yeah. Okay. So we're going to have some controversy today. Um. So here's here's the topic of today. I don't like Undertale. PT brought me here to rant about Undertale because I got a rant in me about it. And it's a good rant. I just remembered that time I didn't like Breath of the Wild as much, so I brought my brother on the show so he could kind of defend it from me. And I've kind of had a, a bit of an up-and-down history with Undertale myself. I, I started off liking it, and then I got a little bored and tired of it, to the point where I wondered if I even did like it. But then I, then I remembered I do actually like it, and it's it just one of the... Just the fact that I have to remind myself that I like the game feels like a very re- unique relationship that I don't have with a lot of media. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, uh, first of all, I'm lying. I lied. I've already lied a lot because I do like Undertale because it actually is a really Get good game. Get off my show. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, point is that... While it is a really good game, it misses a lot of opportunities to be a great game, and that's kind of where I stand on it. Like I, while I think it's a lovely game, and I'm always very charmed by it, it consistently fails to be the thing that I want it to be. Hmm. Um. I don't know. Let's just let's just jump straight into it. Let's get to the straight point. Um. The problem with Undertale that I always have is it always manages to be a really, really shallow game for me whenever I think about it. It's an interesting choice of Um, words. You feel like they don't push the envelope (laughs) enough. They don't push... It doesn't push the envelope at all, really. Um, It's very much... uh, I mean, we've had a lot of games in the past that, like... Are they they go with the your choices matter sort of uh, sort of thing? Like every there's a lot of games with that, and we've all sort of learned that that's kind of a hard thing to do properly. Yeah, it's it's usually just blatantly correct choice and very incorrect choice. Yeah, and we've had a very few amount of games that do that in kind of a fun way and like do something interesting. Uh, Spec Ops, which is a game that I'm sort of a fan of. Uh, this does it in a uh, in an interesting way, because well, for one, your choices don't matter in that game very much because uh, you're going to end up doing awful things anyways. But at least that sort of plays with it a little bit. It does not actually uh, provide on that premise, but it plays with it and does something interesting. Undertale doesn't like it; just doesn't. It's uh, it sh- it does not ever actually manage to. Uh, do anything interesting with this premise, and that's kind of because it picks such a really, really simple topic to uh, really delve into. It sinks its teeth into the most fluffy piece of cotton candy you can find. 
Well, I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like, you don't you don't think they're you don't think they like. Uh, okay, the way I see it is that it's it's a bit more of like an accessible version of what Spec Ops does. It doesn't like hammer you over the head at least not right away but it it just kind of introduces the idea of in video games hmm does violence really have to be the only way we interact with other characters in a meaningful way that 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 was what i took away from it yeah and that's a uh it does do that i will give it that it does in fact successfully do that but it it, it is very, very surface level in what it does, because the, at the end of the day, Undertale obviously really, really, really wants you uh, to be a pacifist. And you can just kind of tell that immediately by looking at how the how the endings are set up. Um, so, the good ending of the game, the main ending, that actually extends into a proper finale... Is the uh, is the purely pacifist route, uh, and anything else other than that is kind of a non-ending. You get a little bit of extra stuff. There's something. There's some things to experiment with, but it come. It doesn't come down to much. It uh, your what you get is like a few different words of dialogue in the ending describing what happened, and none of them are particularly noteworthy. I've actually gone through the wiki like out of curiosity to read all of the different options, and none of them, like, none of them do anything particularly interesting. There's some funny um, unimplications in some, but it's not really worth playing again to find any of the alternate endings that aren't the true endings. I don't think it was supposed to be about replaying them for all the different endings. I think it was, you're supposed to get whatever ending you get, and then look back and go, Oh, I could have not killed this person or something like that. It it's more about like the yeah. fridge realization than about going back to it over and over for 100% completion because the game's genocide route actually like uh criticizes the mentality of completionism in players. What's well, the thing? There's actually something kind of what I think is a little bit subtle is something that's going on here. The may the like true route of the game, the true ending. Obviously, all you have to do is not kill anyone, and then follow the various prompts you get at near the end of the game, uh, to you know actually complete all the side quests. You gotta just basically do everything, and it's very straightforward. It, all all that you really have to do in order to get the true ending is just don't kill anyone. Uh, the thing about the the thing about the alternate here, the opposite, the uh, the genocide route, is that it's not quite symmetrical with that. Uh, the genocide route, you can... If you just kill everyone you meet, as opposed to sparing everyone you meet in the other one, you don't get the genocide route. You just get a, you just get a like, variously gr- grim neutral ending. You have to incredibly go far out of your way. Uh, you have to grind. In order to... Uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to go and like grind and do things like deliberately, uh, deliberately in a very strange way, in a way that you wouldn't play unless you, uh, unless you knew that you would get something interesting out of it, or like you were trying to experiment to see like just how bad you could get things to be. 
Or if you're playing it like you would a regular RPG where it's like, okay, I gotta grind because uh, the boss is gonna kick my butt if I don't, or something like that. Some, something like that. But yeah, um, I don't actually consider that very symmetrical. I think that there is actually something going on here, and that is that you can get a interesting, like, the there are two interesting endings to the game, and then a whole bunch of neutral endings that don't really matter much other than telling you, oops, try playing again, but do do it differently this time. Uh, there's the uh, there's the true pacifist ending, which is fairly straightforward. It just requires like all it really requires is figuring out how to pacifist like defeat certain bosses, which can be a little tricky, but generally isn't too bad. And then there's the genocide route, which requires playing really far out of your way and defeating like crazy bonus bosses, which are very very hard. And these are sort of deliberately asymmetrical, is the thing. Because the game does... It is self-aware enough to understand what it's doing here. It's not, it's understanding the fact that... This... The world of Undertale is a really nice, pleasant place. It doesn't want you to kill anyone. Everyone you meet, with the exception of... Uh, I don't know, maybe Metaton. Everyone you meet... Is a my, is a nice person. Jerry's not nice. Okay, there is Jerry. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, we'll we'll pretend he doesn't exist for the purpose of this argument. Everyone you meet is really nice and generally a good person who you don't want to kill. There's no one in the game who you want to kill. Like there, it would be hard to imagine a justifiable reason for killing anyone other than "oops, I didn't know how to." I didn't know how to not kill them. Yeah. Because you, I oopsed. You, you kind of get the feeling that after the first area of the game, if like if you kill anyone in the ruins, Flowey does mention it, and that should be your first clue. And if you're if you're still killing people after that, I feel like it's more than likely on purpose. Yeah. Just. Just, just to be mean, kind of. You can, you can be mean, but there's no reason to do it. And you can even see it in like, you can kind of see it in the structure of like how the, uh, how the first boss fight works against uh, Toriel, because something subtle happens. The closer Toriel is to having like, closer she is to about fifty percent or so, I think. The the more damage she'll take, which basically means it's structured in such a way that the first time you kill her, if you do, in fact, uh, manage to kill Toriel, you will do it by accident, because you'll get her down to, like, 50% HP, and oops, there goes her health bar. Yeah, you're kind of meant to accidentally kill her. I just happen to know, going into it, that you're not supposed to kill anyone, so I figure, okay, I'll just not do it, because I know I'm not supposed to. Yeah, exactly. It's the sort of thing where, like, you can, uh... You're... you're su it's supposed to happen accidentally, because the game knows that you don't want to kill Toriel. No sane human being would want to kill Toriel. There's no... There's no sense... She betrayed me, Alex! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess there's that. There, there is one justification. But, for the most part, there's no one in the world 
who would want to kill Toriel. So the game does something cheeky here, and it makes it more likely for you to kill Toriel by making it really, really easy to do an accident. And that's just because the game knows that, like, game knows what it's doing. It knows that it's created a very, very nice world. It's created a very pleasant world with good people in it, and that the players are sane human beings who don't want to kill anyone. I did find it interesting how each area boss is progressively less sympathetic. Like, you start with nice old lady Toriel, then you get goofy skeleton guard who's ultimately a nice guy, then you get rough, rowdy, violent fish lady, but she's actually kind of noble, then you get Metaton. Metaton, I will at least give some credit here. Metaton is, in fact, like, fairly villainous and does not actually do anything particularly nice towards you. No, well, there is a bit of nuance to him, but it's really, like, under the surface. Yeah, I think that a lot of the nuance, actually, you can't even get until after you fight him. So at least at the time you fight him, Metaton is almost purely a villain. And you can actually make a justification there that, like... Metaton is the first, and in fact, it's pretty much the only boss where you can make some sort of justification that that uh, he's a bad he is a bad guy, and you should probably fight him. But then you miss it. Then you, you miss out on the cool of... shooting game. Exactly, uh, which is the thing. Like you don't want to because he's also the like one of the most c- coolest and interesting characters in the game. Yeah, his boss fight is probably like one of the most. Like, flashy, and I'd say the most difficult outside of the genocide bosses. Mm-hmm. Except maybe Asgore, exactly. I don't know. But... Yeah. yeah. And Asgore, and I will, will confess, once you get to Asgore, there actually is... It actually does finally, at that point, give you a situation where you might actually want to kill someone... Because fighting Asgore, there there's a justification for that one. He has, in fact, he's got blood on his hands. He has something that you need in order to escape. Uh, worth noting that you you can't not fight him. You have to at least fight him. But at the end, you get the choice to kill or spare. Yeah, and he he, so, he wants is... you to fight him. By the way, he wants you to kill him. Yes, exactly, and. At that point, you finally do have a justification. You have, you have a point where it can be justified that it is that it might be correct to uh, to fight, and the game finally tests you on it and says, "Okay, do you kill or spare?" But I, I honestly don't think the problem is that at that point, if you are if you're playing so far. And you know what you're doing. If you played a video game before, you probably understand that there's going to be a good ending that you get from not killing people. And, like, you you probably at this point just sort of understand implicitly, okay, I need to not kill this guy in order to get the ending that doesn't suck. And so you probably won't. You probably will not kill Asgore, because why would you? And same for Flowey afterwards. Flowey actually is a jerk, and you do have the option to kill or spare him at the end as well. But, again, you are so deep into it 
that at this point, like, if you are playing the game in a sensible way, if you're playing the game in the sensible way that is to not murder people arbitrarily, you are at the point where you are pretty much committed to doing a pacifist route if you are playing, like, as a sane individual. It's, it's a little too... It's a little too little too late. And in the event that you do, like, make a... Make an interesting decision. You decide, okay, here's my line in the sand. Everyone else from this point is fine, but Flowey deserves to die. If you do that, then all you get is a neutral ending with with nothing in it. You got to play the replay the whole game again in order to actually like get something interesting to happen. It doesn't. It doesn't reward you for your. It doesn't reward you for your choices with anything interesting. If you, in fact, try and make a, uh, a nuanced and interesting choice. Because it really just... At the end of the day, it really just does expect you to take the surface level here of... People don't deserve to die. Which is... You know... I mean, that's cool. But I think that we're kind of at a... Uh, it's kind of a little straightforward. It's a little too... Um, how would one put it? I'm not sure, but... Basically... What I think you're trying to say underneath all this is that despite all the all the dressing around it, Undertale also falls into the trap of blatantly correct choice versus bunch of bad choices. Exactly. And it's all like it's all deep in the structure of it because there there really is only like two two distinct endings, one of which is bad and one of them is good. One of them is made from doing like good choices, one of them is made from doing bad choices. And then in the middle, there's a little bit of catch-all for, uh, people who, uh, make only some bad choices, but not all of them. But not a lot of, a lot of time or time and effort is not spent on any of these, uh, choices in the middle. They're not very important. Yeah, I think... I think it's interesting, then, that Deltarune goes on to throw the idea of choices out the window and repeatedly hammers in the idea that the player's choices don't affect anything. Oh, I am hyped for Deltarune because that is a that's a much more nuanced take on it. That's a much more interesting one. Like it's got some potential there to like really do something fun and like really do something unexpected. Yeah, I'm uh... I, I thought I saw Toby post a preview for Chapter 2, but then it was just Rick Astley in the Megalovania sound font. And I thought, you know, I'm not even mad, it's just too catchy. I missed that. I need to go look that up after this, I guess. Uh, anyways, um, point here is... Well, actually, here, I should... Here's the point where I should actually go back and say... Despite all that, I still love Undertale for a lot of reasons. I do think it's a lovely game. Um, it's got it's got a lot of charm to it. Dialogue is is snappy. It's combat is actually kind of fun. It's generally just kind of a lovely experience. It it doesn't it just doesn't quite ever go beyond that. Um, there is one other thing, like, about it that I've always found a little bit disappointing, and that is that I've always thought that the characters were a little bit under-fleshed out. Really? You thought they were under-fleshed out? Uh, absolutely. I think that, like... I think that the characters could have used a lot more, like... You could have done a lot more with, like, the characters. Oh, give me an example. This game. 
uh, example here is let's take uh, let's take Papyrus for instance. Let's actually discuss Papyrus real quick specifically because he is the most fleshed out character. In okay, the you're not you're not skeleton you're not line. off to a good start in telling me by starting with the most fleshed out character. I know. He doesn't know. even have uh, flesh. Alright, so... There we go, there's that skeleton pun. Um, so, here's... Here's the thing. I I think that Papyrus is kind of great. I had him as my Discord avatar for a while. He's a lot of fun. But... And, like, you you talk to Papyrus more than anyone else in the game, because you, you get the phone, and, like, you talk to him, like, at various points, and he gives funny commentary, and it's great. Yeah. Papyrus is... I don't know if he's the character with the most dialogue lines in the game, but I'm, he probably is. Good bet. Oh, there are dogs I... in my backyard now. Keep going. Oh, I don't know. I, I love Papyrus, but at the same time, I actually don't think that there is enough Papyrus in the game to like really get a feel on his personality. I, I think that, like... Certainly, you get you get enough of it. You get like the various phone calls. You get his boss fight. You get the the dating sim bit, and all of those things are really fun. But Undertale is a kind of a fast and kind of a short game, and none of this is quite given any time to like to stew. You don't really learn like a good baseline for what this character is like outside of like th- these few specific scenes. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean. The entire snow forest leading up to the encounter with Papyrus, you have to indulge all his little booby traps and stuff, and you kind of, and like you talk to Sans every once in a while. You, I feel like they build him up properly. There, you you kind of start to feel for him. Like you learn that he thinks spaghetti is everyone's favorite food, and that kind of speaks to, like, you know his altruistic side you learn that he doesn't want a cheap victory with a bunch of death traps he wants to give you a fair and challenging puzzle you learn that the townspeople don't really have any opinion of him one way or the other and he doesn't have friends he basically only has his brother and undyne yeah and i think all that stuff is good well i could even go a little bit further is in various different endings that they kind of show him in other new lights too you show if papyrus is the only major character you spared besides sans and technically alphys i guess like you see what what he's like if he has to rule all the monsters or if he's given various positions in the new world order or something like that and i think admittedly this kind of bites me from what I said earlier about not needing to see all the different endings, but they do give you different contexts to kind of expand on the characters, and even in the genocide route, you see that he's, like, he's so optimistic about people that he he doesn't even put up a fight. He just stands there and allows you to make the choice to spare him. And I do like all of that. Uh, like, I think that's good. That's why I did say that he is a he is a fleshed out character. But, well, what like. else would you add? But I I honestly think that like it could have done so much more if there was just a uh, if if this was the sort of game that gave its characters time to like time to rest and like time to talk to each other as opposed to like talk just talking to you. 
you could you could get a lot more out of it. You could get a lot more out of these characters. I think that like there's not a whole lot of like optional content. There's not a whole lot of like side scenes aside from the uh, from like one big one per character pretty much. And I've I've just always thought that like while while Papyrus is lovely and obviously a wonderful character that is really fun to have around there's always just been this sense to me that like we never we never quite get enough as much out of him as we could and unfortunately Papyrus is the best example like he is the be- most fleshed out out of the whole cast because other characters don't get nearly as much well I just like seeing all the different breadcrumbs that you can infer from all the different clues lying around associated to each character like when you talk to Braddy and Caddy, they'll talk a little bit more about Metaton's history. They'll say, oh, he acts like being invented was his idea and stuff. And he talks to Alphys like he's known her for years and stuff. And then when you go and eventually figure out Metaton's implied backstory in that house with all the journals where he's basically a ghost and he commissioned a robot body for himself and suddenly those hints take on new context like i i really like how these characters have all those different details like that i think it kind of rewards you for reading between some of the lines okay you know i actually will actually give you that one because i i do like that and in fact that is actually something i like a lot because uh so here's an interesting tangent. You know what that actually reminds me of? What? Uh, the whole way you phrased that actually reminded me of Dark Souls. Oh, this is the Dark Souls of Undertale characters. Ah, uh, I'm so upset that you went there. Anyways, um, I, I actually do like that a lot because that actually is kind of neat. I've always liked games that have uh, story breadcrumbs. Now... Admittedly, I don't like them as much as I could because there's a lot of games that give not enough story breadcrumbs, but Undertale definitely does give enough story breadcrumbs that piecing together what's going on in the plot and figuring out all the little tiny, weedli- tiny wheedling details that uh, are going on behind the scenes, that's actually something the game does really, really well. In fact, it does it extremely well to the point where there's very few games I can think of that do it better. Uh, Undertale has a incredibly good sense of how to uh, how to tell a subtle story, how to tell a story through uh, a lot of little tiny things rather than spelling things out. Yeah, and th- this that this one in particular actually does come without a uh, without a qualifier. I just love that. I've always been a huge fan of that. Uh, Dark Souls is another game that does this. Dark Souls has a lot of uh, really subtle things that you'll never pick up on unless you're really looking at environmental details or like scouring your inventory to look at all the flavor text on various things you pick up and piecing things together. Yeah, like when you when you're world and, building, you're basically writing like fifteen extra stories along with the story you're here to tell. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I actually think Undertale, and here's a hot take, I think Undertale does this a lot better than Dark Souls does, because Dark Souls is frequently infuriatingly vague in, like, what it's trying to tell you. When I find an item in Dark Souls, like, I, it'll give me this interesting snippet about, like, what it is and what it's used for, where it came from. 
and frequently when I put all my clues together at the end of like at the end of a game or at the end of a long session where I've discovered a bunch of stuff, I know like half a thing. I know like roughly there was a dude here and he might have turned evil and he might have had a relation to this other dude, and that's what I know about it, if I'm interpreting it correctly. And that's kind of a shallow, like... That's kind of a shallow amount of information that I'm getting from that. Uh, Undertale is a lot better about this, because there's a lot of, like, really solid conclusions you can draw. You can, like, obviously... Well, here's a, here's a good one. You can find out exactly where Flowey came from, why he's around, and, like, what what his existence implies... And all of this stuff, like, all the stuff you find out in the True Lab, and the game does kind of expect you to piece it together, because it, the game respects you, the game thinks that you're fairly smart and knows that you'll probably piece together who Flowey is based on True Lab stuff. I, I, I'm trying to remember when I played the game if I managed to figure it out or not, I... I, I just remember the, the entire end game being kind of a blur, and I just kind of accepted things as they happened. It wasn't really until after I was like, oh, that was that guy, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of the key to it. Like, if the whole nice thing about story breadcrumbs is that they're kind of, they kind of reward you for paying attention and piecing things together, which I think is, uh, I think that's a good thing. And I think that, like, if it's, if it's something you necessarily have to figure out, it's not always right. But if it's something that you sh- that you have a good chance of figuring out, then like, then you're on a good track there. Like you should, you should be able to uh, probably figure out some of the details just by uh, playing through, or at least get the gist of it. And I think that's one way that Dark Souls actually does fail this this sort of test that I'm giving it, because it. It does not always do this. Some, there's a lot of things in Dark Souls that you'll find, like... You 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 can very easily complete the game while missing most of the uh, subtleties. And when I say very easily, I mean it's much, 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 much easier to just finish the game and then go later on and go look at a YouTube video explaining the lore. Yeah, Undertale... While, while it rewards you more for paying attention, it also makes it easier to pay attention. I... It's a very accessible game, like I said earlier. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's actually good. I think that Undertale being accessible is actually one of its better features. And that that is where I'm always a little tongue-in-cheek when I say I don't like Undertale. Because while I, while I don't like Undertale necessarily as much as I could, I do strongly appreciate what it is. It does know what it's trying to be. And what it's trying to be is not particularly deep. It never goes the extra mile. It never does. Uh, it never does as much as it could necessarily. But it doesn't really want to. And I think that's actually kind of like. I think that's actually kind of a smart thing to do because I do think that it does have a niche. It does have a very specific niche in being a very accessible way to uh, do all the things it wants to do. Yeah, it's kind of like. Baby's first meta narrative, only less condescending than that. It... Yeah, and it actually the meta narrative actually does uh does do pretty solidly. Yeah, I I think it is important that there is an experience like Undertale 
and it's very accessible and stuff to kind of introduce people to some deeper concepts as kind of a jumping off point. Mm-hmm. And all like there's a lot of stuff that's actually quite good that I like uh, that is fairly deep, like the uh, everything involving the like save and load sort of things is actually kind of really nifty. Although I do think that's actually a little underutilized as well. And for all the rampant, rampant memes surrounding the fight, I do think it is very interesting how the Sans fight turns a lot of turn-based combat tropes on their head. Oh, absolutely. That's all very fun. And, like, all that's very neat, although I will... I will again. I'm switching back and forth between complaining about this game and praising it. I do actually do think that a lot of the meta stuff, a lot of, like, the save and load stuff, uh, determination, everything involving Sans fine. it's kind of removed from the plot, in a way. Like, you actually don't lose anything if you were to... Let's, let's say you hypothetically were to take Undertale and edit the strip a little bit, and, like, keep everything the same, but remove all, like, all, like, mention of, like, game mechanics in any way. You could kind of do that pretty easily if you wanted to. You could remove save and load and replace it with some some more generic variety of time travel. Yeah. If you were to, like, make a novelization. It only sense. really applies to Flowey and then the Genocide Sands fight. I think it's more like the story is just kind of a vehicle for all the meta-narrative stuff to happen around. It's in service of the implications more than it is to tell a story for its own sake. Exactly. And, like, I think I think that's a lot. And, like, I think that it's... And, well, again, I think it's just kind of a little bit of a shallow choice. Like, there's nothing in... There's nothing in Undertale that wouldn't translate directly into... Like, if you were to novelize it and, like, remove any references to being a game, everything would still translate fine. Because it's all, like... It's all a very simple variety of, like, time travel that it's, uh, translating its mechanics. I find that interesting because I feel like Undertale is a work that is best as a video game and can only be a video game, and that's because I'm looking at the entire package while you're just kind of honing in on the story and, I I suppose, the characters. That's true. Uh, I will give you that. You you would lose an awful lot. uh, if you were if you were to like try and remove it from the context of being like, a video I game. have or had I don't know if I still have it actually oh yeah there it is over there uh, a novel of Metal Gear Solid Two and I-, I imagine you know the big deal about that game and what it does and stuff and it's kind of ahead of its time really in being a bit of a ludo narrative circus like Undertale and Spec Ops and Doki Doki and all that, where it plays with a lot of video game tropes and critiques different kinds of players. And I feel like, as a book, it doesn't really have as much weight to it, because now you're just reading it. You're reading the script, essentially. And I feel like Undertale is the same way, where... Well, it was never really about the story in Undertale. It's more just a kind of kind of like a theme park ride. Oh my gosh, did I just do like the like the Marvel movies aren't actual movies? Did, did I really just do that? 
But it's kind of like just, you know, a ride. You go through the different areas of the underworld and it's like, oh, here's the here's the nice goat lady who lives in the ruins. Oh, here's the forest with a bunch of goofy skeletons. Oh, here's a robot talk show. Here's the swamp area in the middle no one really likes to talk about besides Undyne. Just, it just kind of on a road trip you're experiencing things and oh hey look ludonarrative dissonance yeah yeah no i think that that's uh that's actually true i will give you that uh when i mentioned that i was more how how was i willing to put this um in the context of specifically the meta narrative stuff all of the meta narrative stuff like all of the stuff uh, regarding saving, loading, all the video game, like, stuff that happens in the Flowey and, like, the Sans boss fights. All of that actually totally works, like, even outside of the, uh, even outside the video game context. Uh, I think that that all translates just fine, and, like, it's a very approachable way to do it, because that means that people who aren't familiar with video game tropes will at least understand it from the context of, oh, it's time travel. I know how time travel works. I've li- looked at any media in, like, the past 20 years. And I think that's actually good. That makes it more accessible. But you are absolutely correct that there's a bunch of other stuff that would not work at all if it wasn't a video game. Yeah, like like the fight with Photoshop Flowey, as he's officially called, that would be kind of clumsy to depict in anything but a video game where save states can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's... Uh... I think that that part is uh, is true. That's a, that specific part art there is good. You can have an encounter in like a movie or a book that is based around the fact that uh, the villain keeps rewinding time to win. Well, I guess there and is fact, the think... climax of Men in Black Three when Will Smith saves guns against the Jermaine Clement guy. That's a th- I'm actually not familiar with that one. I thought I was going to try and reference. I think that it doesn't like one of the Marvel movies and like that. Like Doctor Strange has a uh, ending like that. I've been meaning to see Doctor Strange for a while now, but then I keep putting it off. So, uh, same. Darn you you were going to reference a movie you didn't even know what happened in. I've I've heard about. I it. at least watched I've Men heard... in Black Three, which, <laughs> which it. just. Yeah, that that's the hill I want to die on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. PT, Men in Black 3 Watcher, has been confirmed. Anyways. What else about Undertale is there left to say? Oh, there's, well, I think there's a lot to say about it. I do actually... So, let, let me switch back again. I think, I think that it's a game that is actually very memorable for a lot of things, and like... It's a good game to look at and compare to other games, because it does so many things better than a lot of other games, that, like, it's it, it's kind of like a good, uh, it's a good benchmark. It's a good way to compare other games that try and do the things it does, because it does all the things it, do, it does in a fairly straightforward and accessible way. Because it it knows it's going for like something that will uh, something that appeals to a broad audience. There's a reason why it's so popular. Popular things aren't necessarily popular because they're the best. They're popular because they have an appeal that spreads to a bunch of different people. Yeah, that's what it means to be popular. Exactly. 
Uh, and basically, this is a segue into me comparing other games to Undertale, because, like, there are other games, actually, that I do think are better than Undertale in very specific ways. Now, admittedly, they are worse in a lot of other ways. Undertale is a fantastic game, and, like, it's... Even even given, like, everything that I've said about it, even given every way that I think that, like, it doesn't live up to what I think it could be, it still couldn't possibly be lower than an 8 out of 10 for me. Like, it absolutely has to be, and it's probably, if I'm, like, if I'm not in a grumpy mood, it's probably a 9 out of 10. I'd, I'd, I'd probably put it within my top, top, top 20 games somewhere, maybe. Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, definitely far up there. It was in my top ten for um, a while, but closer to ten than to one. But uh. yeah, no, absolutely. No, it is it is such a good game that it's actually worth comparing other games to it because there are specific games that I think do things that it does and does them does those things in a more nuanced. You're not going to start talking um, about like all those obscure games that only you and Chloe have ever played, are you? Are you? So, uh, well, okay, yes. Yes, I am. I'm going to brief, I was going to try and briefly bring us to a tangent about a game that does something, does a thing that I oh, wish on Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. I, you probably do, because I know I've mentioned this in previous conversations about Undertale. Um, so, there is a... Well... Let, let, let's try to keep it fairly concise, because you're introducing a very obscure game here, so... Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this concise. I'll keep this real concise here. So, there is there is actually a few games that I think do this a lot better, do some things a lot better. There's a game uh, called EG. It is a freeware game for the PC. You can actually play it right now. Uh, Daniel Rimar made it. He's cool. It's released, like, a decade ago. It's good. Um, point being... That it also does a pacifist versus genocide dichotomy. And I think that it actually does a much more nuanced take on it, because in this game, you are given a very good, compelling reason to not be pacifist. And here's where I think this is a good thing to bring up, because we can do a little point of comparison here. It's... The, the whole structure of the game is that the Earth has been invaded by aliens, and... At the start of the game, like, you are at least aware that they are responsible for the deaths of, like, your, a lot of your immediate family. As it goes on, you find out that, even worse, they're, they've already gotten to the point where they've nuked half the planet. And so there is a, uh, there is an awful lot of incentive to go bust alien heads. And the game, at every point, tells you it's probably smarter to go bust alien heads. The game, like, right in the first level, tells you... If you decide not to kill people, the game tells you, uh, why? Uh, hey, you should probably kill people. Nice of you that you're not, but like you probably should. And I've always liked that more. I've always liked this a lot more than I like Undertale's uh, dichotomy, because you are given compelling reasons to not be a pacifist. The game is quite hard to be a pacifist on, both from the perspective of gameplay, it's actually a fairly difficult game if you're trying not to kill everyone. And you can make it a lot easier by uh, taking taking well, a few lives. Are you rewarded for being pacifist at all in a meaningful way? You are rewarded not like in a in a direct way, but in a more subtle way. Which is you you uh, don't you are rewarded in the sense that like your character 
your character does not want to be a murderer and, like, gets quite concerned about this fact unless you are playing so aggressively that she gets over it. Uh, the first few kills you, ills that you get, like, you can actually hear her uh, apologizing to her enemies under her breath until she eventually gets over it and just gets angry about the whole thing. And as you play through, like, if you are playing a pacifist, you start getting more and more interesting no notes. Uh, you get notes from enemies. They are actually, in certain ways, more terrified of you that you can just walk through their army without taking a single life than they would be if you hadn't okay. done that. Yeah, and, like, so originally, uh, maybe, maybe there are a few people in our audience who are familiar with this game and don't know that it's been updated because... This game has actually gotten a few updates over the years that have expanded this functionality even more. Because if you if you are consistently pacifist, the game starts to find other ways to reward you. Uh, the very first the first major boss fight in the game, if you manage to remain pacifist through most of it, you will you will one in the level before it, the a group of enemies will actually call a ceasefire with you. They will recognize the fact that you haven't been killing them, despite the fact that you should be. And they will say, hey, we're cool, uh, go on ahead, just don't cause any trouble. And continuing to do that, if you continue down that path and like continue to not kill anyone, maintain that ceasefire, then when you reach the boss of the area, you will actually have an ally, because, said bo because uh, you will essentially spark a minor civil war between uh, the more bloodthirsty members of the enemy faction and the more uh, sensible ones. Okay, that's pretty and neat. Yeah, and this, yeah, and this actually happens like in a couple of different contexts. And the way that it basically plays plays out is that during the boss fights, where you would normally have to kill someone to proceed, there will actually be various things that happen that allow you to not take any lives ne unnecessarily. Uh, you will. You will either have an ally who is willing to pull the trigger for you. Do it for me. Oh. Some... Yeah, basically. And there are and like either that or like just you can just set things up in in some cases you have to set things up yourself. You can uh if you're smart about it, you can set things up in such a way that you can just kind of avoid having to do certain boss fights and therefore not have blood on your hands. Okay. Well and uh I have a feeling we're going to be here all night, but I I understand what you're getting at now. That is a lot more fleshed out than what they have in Undertale, and I'll even help your point a little bit, is in Undertale, the way you navigate through menus to do all the different actions is, from a gameplay standpoint, it's almost identical to just casting spells and picking special attacks and stuff. It's basically just combat but with a different coat of paint which does kind of muddy the distinction it feels kind of like in name only you're a pacifist you're not you're not really like there, there's a little bit of a guessing game over which action to take and i guess you're missing the the timed hits mini game but otherwise it really isn't that much of a developed system of catering to the, the different to the different monsters. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not a, uh... Like, the Undertale's combat is, like, much... L if you decide to go the, uh... The route of actually fighting monsters, Undertale's, like, combat becomes infinitely less interesting very quickly because, uh... You, uh, You instantly lose all the fun flavor text of, like, trying out your different actions and such. 
Like, the even from the gameplay side, the game doesn't want you to kill anyone, because, like, that's the least fun way to, like, deal with any encounter that you have to, to like, kind encounter. Kind of. I mean... Yeah, uh, I won't. I won't go any further on EG other than because, like, there is some interesting stuff in it that I could go on. And in fact, maybe someday I should. Uh, I should go off again on this and like. May- maybe one of these days you should invite me back so you can just rant about various indie games, and that'll just be my like hour to rant about three different oh, tales. We, but uh, that can be you, for you. Just talk time about Dropsy. That's, that's it. Uh, I think that you're absolutely right. That like, the game. As far as the gameplay goes, there isn't really like uh, uh, there isn't really a big gameplay difference between being a pacifist and being a uh, a fighter in Undertale, other than the fact that it's slightly more boring to be a uh, a fighter. Yeah, I do find it telling that the game never actually teaches you how to fight. So when I had to put him up against Asgard, Asgard, Asgore for the first time. Asgard? That was just like, wait, how do I fight him? Ah! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, there is a uh, there's a tutorial no, for No, no, there's a tutorial for sparing. Are. They never teach you how to fight, which is... I actually yeah. kind of like... Oh, yeah, I actually kind of like that as a subtle first clue that the game doesn't want you to fight. I, I honestly... So, here's the thing. Every time I talk about this, while I always end up saying that I don't like Undertale... I always do come away with it with a lot of respect when I think about it, because while I, while the game does not pander to what I wish it could be, I wish it could be a different kind of game that is a little bit more interesting and says a little bit more. It's really, really good at being the kind of game that it is, because it understands exactly what it's trying to do, and it is trying to get you to have a good, fun time where you don't murder anyone and it is is trying to make murder as unreasonable an option as possible so that your average, like, your average annoyed Joe Schmo on the street won't get bored and start murdering people. Yeah, it's kind of like me in Breath of the Wild, where I, I respect what's trying to do, and I, I'm glad that people can play it for hours and hours at a time. I can even name some things I personally like about it, but it's just not what I wanted yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't... I, I Unfortunately, I have not re- watched that episode, so I don't know what conclusion you came on it, if, if any, but I've always personally thought that uh, Breath of the Wild is great game, bad Zelda well, game. Well, it was actually the first episode, but I was, but I also had really bad recording and stuff. It, was, it, was, it wasn't really until I got my brother on, like, 20 episodes later or something that I could talk about it more. Now, I have an interesting thought experiment... Would your perception of Undertale change at all if I told you that it's not an RPG? The combat system is so de-emphasized and focused on just interacting with the monsters in meaningful ways, and so many alternate gameplay forms just kind of take center stage so frequently... I feel like an RPG is kind of the easy comparison to make, but I don't know if I'd actually call Undertale an RPG. It feels kind of more like an adventure game, maybe, even? Interesting. I thought that you were going to say visual novel. Not really. There's there's way too much control for that. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Um, You know what? That's actually kind of interesting. If I were to try and start comparing it against the adventure game... uh format 
instead of the RPG format. Yeah, I'd have to think about that one. That's actually a really interesting take, and I like it already. Um, but, hmm. You know what? Yeah, I can see. I can see where you're going with this. That's a fun comparison. What I really like is that this isn't the only game to do this, but this is a game where the battles aren't just screen where you hit enemies until they die. The battles are, this is you having an encounter with them, which can be anything. I like when a game can cut to a battle screen and it's not just fighting, like, and it's not just everyone that you can kill. Like, even as far back as uh, Dragon Quest Three, like, really old game, there's a late game part where, uh, I guess I'm gonna... Let, let me see if I can say it without spoiling too much. You find a principal character that you've heard a lot about, and they're in a fight with a monster, and they're both on the screen as enemy sprites, but they're actually fighting each other. And I always like when they do that. It's like, it's you watching them fight. It's not you fighting one or the other or both. And Undertale kind of does that too. I like that. Yeah, I actually see what you mean exactly. There is a uh, there is an art when it comes to like doing interesting non-traditional encounter designs. And Undertale's really good about that. They they do in fact uh, come up with a variety of ways in which they uh, like different situations are represented rather than like it just being a a literal like back and forth fisticuffs. Like, just off the top of my head, I can think of a few, like the, uh, the Metaton fight, assuming that you're not just beating him up, being more about, uh, playing stylishly, and it's, re- it's representative of, like, obviously it's representative of you being on the Metaton's, like, TV show, and, like, getting the ratings high by, uh, play- by playing stylishly, rather than, uh, actually trying to win the fight by beating yeah, him up. and Toriel is you refusing to fight, and... Undyne is you using the flea option in a boss fight, doing the impossible. Yeah, exactly. That's that's actually great. I do appreciate that one a lot. Like you um, know me, I like coming up with ideas for really gimmicky boss fights and like I could just come up with ones that Toby could probably use Toby notice me please. And <laughs> <laughs> I I think that's another thing it does really well. It it, it kind of feels like almost more like a tabletop RPG than a like a Final Fantasy RPG. Yeah, I see what you mean. Like it does it does want like it wants to provide interesting encounters and it has a bunch of different ways to set up interesting encounters where like you're like assuming that you're on the uh, assuming that you're on like the true ending path. You're not doing the genocide route, or you're not doing a uh, a route where you fight any monsters. It does have a massive variety of ways in which it sets up fights. While like a lot of the times the gameplay is necessarily the same, you're just picking options while dodging while dodging stuff in between your turns. Like there is a lot going on, and like there's a lot of like really subtle things and like really interesting gimmicks that you have to take advantage of. And the art of the gimmick fight is. It is a uh, it is a very precious art because there are a lot of ways to do it wrong, and Undertale picks a lot of ways to do it right, and it takes full advantage of those ways to do it right. 
and that's really uncommon to see. Yeah, there there are a lot of like there are a lot of RPGs that I can think of that have like maybe one good gimmick fight in them and two bad gimmick fights in them that aren't very fun at all. And Undertale does a great job in like having a lot of good ones and very few bad ones. Uh, one of the first exposures I've had to a gimmick fight is Final Fantasy IX, where sometimes you have the fairy battles where instead of an enemy, you're just up against a weird creature who wants an item in your inventory and then they leave, and the music is even different. And they also kind of play with this where you run into an enemy that won't outright attack you, but it'll ask for an item, and then it doesn't give you the next item in the sequence, or it will attack you. I don't remember what the details are, but it's it's conning you, unlike the other ones. And you can actually tell because it's playing the normal battle music, which kind of goes into more me talking more about video game music cues, which is a, another episode entirely. But here we're talking about Undertale and we're probably close to done talking about Undertale because not only did we just have a major technical snafu on my end, but we kind of talked about all the things I think we needed to talk about with it for the most yeah, part. As usual, as usual, uh, when talking about Undertale, what happened here was that I went back and forth about 20 times saying that I loved it and saying that I disliked it. And eventually I think we came to the conclusion that it's a, gr- it's a great game. There but, needs to be a game like Undertale for, yeah. like, context. Yeah, exactly. It is it is a shallow game. That's kind of the thing I said at the very start of this to call back. I call it a shallow game, and I kind of stand by that, but... It kind, it, is, it kind of needs to be shallow at the same time. Yeah, it doesn't want to be anything other than shallow is also important. There's a lot of games that try to be really deep and, like, have problems, because they end up being, oh... I wanted this to be deep, it turned out to be really shallow. Undertale knows that it's shallow. It understands exactly, like, what it's going for here. It's going for addressing things in, like, a straightforward, surface-level way, and it does this in a very smart way that, like, actually does do a ton of stuff really, really well in ways that other games just don't. Being shallow isn't inherently bad, because... Sometimes you don't want to go down a rabbit hole that stares back at you. Sometimes you just want to have a, a fluffy time. Yes, exactly. And I, and I do love it for that. While I, while I admit, it is not a, uh, it's not a game that panders to my taste, shall we say. There's a lot of stuff about it that, well, if, if I were to pick out a game from the shelf to replay, Undertale is not likely to be one of those games, just because... It, it doesn't hit any of my buttons. It doesn't quite do what I want it to do when I'm, like, looking for a game that's got a really good narrative. But doesn't mean it's not a really good game. Just not in the way that... It's just not a good game in the way that makes me want to uh, play it. That's fair. I do think yeah. it's worth mentioning, at least on my part, that I really am a fan of how the game... Well, okay, maybe not in the way it does it, but... I do like that there is a game that calls out the self-imposed need to do every single thing in a game 100% just 
just because you feel like you have to when you really don't. Because that's, that's the thing that bothers me in general is when people say they have to do it or it had to be done when really it didn't. Yeah, no. I I, I also agree with that. Uh, while, like again, I, I also feel that like there are ways in which this isn't done very well. There are ways in which this kind of, kind of fails in narrative sense that I could go on about. But I love the fact that it was something that was addressed, and I think that it was at least a good way to address it. And I, I definitely do agree that there is a lot of, like, the idea that everything in a game needs to be completed because it's there is problematic and weird in cases, and Undertale, like, Undertale does a very good job in calling out some of the reasons why and, like, addressing them in a creative way, and I love that. Now, I'll say in the defense of people with OCD, they have OCD. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's good defense. I mean, I mean, I have OCD, so I know what it's like, except I'm also kind of lazy. So <laughs> It's a really uh, weird combination that has both blessed and cursed me. Yeah, I can understand that. I like the fact that it designs some content to just be there. There, there is, a, there is a valid reason for playing it. Some people actually just do like, cool, like difficult bonus bosses. I like difficult bonus bosses. So, like, for me, the uh, the genocide route kind of falls on a sour note for me because I actually do have a perfectly sensible reason to play it. I just want to, I, I want to challenge myself. Yeah, that's kind of one of the areas where they trip over their feet. Is that like, oh, what kind of crazy person are you to just kill all these monsters? Like, well, I, I just really wanted to fight Undyne, and it was like. That's yeah. that's one area where Deltarune improves, because then you get the Jevil fight, which you can do on no matter what type of style you've been playing on. I do hope this is an area where Deltarune does, inc- does uh, improve a little bit, just because it has always just fallen a little bit flat to see to see the game chastise. Like, it chastises you for doing something that, well... While in the context of the game, your your actions are obviously horrible, there is there is a sensible out of game context that you could do them. And unfortunately, the game is playing on your meta meta expectations here, or at least trying to. And like, it can fall a little bit flat if your reasonings for depending on what your reasoning was for starting the genocide route. Yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, it does. Um, it does do it in an interesting way, which I appreciate, and I think that it is a, uh, I think that it is at the very least a, uh, a good, like, a good message to send, that not sometimes not everything is, a, like, you, sometimes you don't have to do all the routes, sometimes that's bad, and you shouldn't do it, because the game doesn't want you to do it. Yeah. Just because something's there doesn't mean you have to. I'm I'm about spent. I've uh, I've successfully ranted back and forth all over most of the things that I wanted to. Yeah, this is a good hour or so of of footage unedited. Yeah. No, this was fun. It it went the way that it usually does. Yeah. Thanks for uh, coming on. Uh, my pleasure. You have any plugs you want to make besides eg? Uh, nope, I'm just gonna plug EG again. Go play it, it's free. Literally, just download it. It runs on anything. It's been around for a decade. It's on the Texas Instrument. You could... No, probably not. But close! Is it on as many things as Tetris and or Street Fighter 2? Uh, 
no. But it, it's on a PC, and if you're watching this, you probably at least have an old laptop or something, and it probably runs fine on it, because it's ten years old. Yeah, good. yeah, you're probably listening to this on a PC, or you're listening on Podcast One's mobile app, which is a thing that exists. Oh, darn. Nice segue. Or you're... But, uh, it, yeah, you know, follow the show if you want to hear me like talk more about random games and game topics. I actually really do want to do, like, examples of Cool Music Association, but I'd need to... I need to script that out a little bit better, and lately I don't have as much free time as I used to. But, uh, yeah, the BitCast is also on Twitter, so if anyone listening to this finally wants to follow me, instead of just kind of tuning out and not looking for me and following me on Twitter, there you go. (laughs) You gotta know your audience, Alex. (laughs) I didn't say nothing. All right. Uh, Does that about wrap it up for us? Yeah, that about wraps it up. Thanks for listening. See you on the next one. Goodbye. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcastone.com and on the Podcast One app.